And welcome into Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinion. My name is Jake English. I'm here with Scott Magnus. Today is April 3rd, 2016, and this will become episode 158. I say that it is April 3rd, 2016, and that is important for a single reason. You know, usually I hate it when podcasters say that they're coming to you live from anywhere for any reason, because... Podcasts are so infrequently live. They're recorded, they're downloaded, they're consumed later. It is a time-shifted audio format, but there are exceptions. And today is one of them. Today's show is being recorded and streamed as a part of Birdland Radio, and we are recording live here at the Section 336 studios, and we are streaming live on Birdland Radio. Thanks very much to the guys at Section 336 for inviting us to participate. If you are listening to us today... Wherever you are, I hope that you're doing it on Birdland Radio. There are a lot of other great podcasts involved with this activity. And hey, we're here. The end of the light, the end of the tunnel is here. There is light and it is not an oncoming train. We made it. We made it. We made it. Thank goodness. All right, let's get to the business real quick and get it out of the way. And then we'll get on to the show. First of all, you can find us at birdseyeviewbaltimore.com. You can also find us at the Baltimore Sports Report, where we're at baltimoresportsreport.com slash network. You can also find this show and lots of other great podcasts about baseball at baseballtalkradio.com. You can find us on third-party platforms like Stitcher, Miro, Double Twist, and that thing called... iTunes? I mean, I guess, if you have to. If we have to represent an Apple product, please, if you go out there and subscribe to us on iTunes... Rate us, review us, give us some feedback that you actually care about the show because our wives certainly don't. That will be one. Yeah. Uh, you can also find us on social media. And today I fell down. I failed you all. I did not do our, our bird's eye view preview. Maybe we'll do a bird's eye review Ooh, on Periscope hello. after we're done here. But you can find us all over so the, the interwebs. Was silent? <laughs> yes. <laughs> you can find us all over the interwebs. Facebook.com slash BEVcast. You can also catch us the best and most reliable ways to do so on Twitter, where we are at BirdseyeViewBAL. And now that we've gone through all that, we come to the most important part of this podcast. This is the central, the key uh, tenant of Bird's Eye View. Scott Magnus, I ask you the important question. What is your drink of the week? Jake, I'm going with a Flying Dog Fig and Fennel Stout. This was a beer that was released uh, this past Christmas. And I'm going to tease it a little bit, Jake. I'm going to explain why I'm drinking this when we get to blowing the save. Ooh. Yeah. I'm already excited. I'm going to cheat. I have two drinks of this week. Okay. First, I'm going to thank my brother, Jamie Muller, who gifted me for my, my birthday recently uh, uh, passed with some Plymouth Gin. I've had a pair of gin and tonics with some Plymouth, which I highly recommended. Never had it. And as you know, I'm a gin guy. You are a gin guy. I'm a gin guy. Never had it before. Jamie, it was spot on. It is a great gin. If you are a gin person, please walk, run to your nearest liquor store and go get some Plymouth. Um, but also a gift, I am uh, I am drinking today a Steady Eddie Seasonal IPA. You know, that actually came highly recommended from Chris Maurer, who is a listener of the show. He kind of gave us a little flack of saying, why hasn't this been the drink of the week? And uh, 
certainly it seemed apropos coming into today to go out and get that beer. Look, I haven't rated it on Untapped just yet because uh, because well, I failed everyone today. Right. But I'm going to give it a solid three point five because I'm a tough grade mm. on Untapped. And while we talk about that, you can follow along with the drink of the week with us every week on Untapped. Scotty, how can they find you? You can find me on Untapped at M E G N eight six zero six. You can find me at Jake E. 4025. And with that, that is the drink of the week. Please play along at home. Tell us what you're drinking. Do it on the Twitters at Bird's Eye View BAL. We are desperately interested. And with that, Scotty, I mean, is it time? It's time. Let's go into the medical wing. Time for your checkup. Time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. going to listen to your heartbeat, fix you up. All right, the roster has been set. And there's a lot of folks on the DL. So Kevin Gossman hits the DL just like we all thought. Shoulder tenderness. Brian Mattis to the DL as well. Jimmy Paredes, you weren't swinging this spring training. You went to the DL as well. That does solve a roster crunch problem, though. Look, he's out of options. Might as well stow him away in the DL for as long as we can, right? Yeah, and then you also had Matt Wieters, who had the elbow soreness. It looks like he's going to avoid the DL. It'll be interesting to see how many games he gets into um, on a weekly basis, whether he'll be able to catch back-to-back days, which was a constant concern during the 2015 season. Certainly looks like that's coming back in the 2016 season. Um, but it's, it, I think Matt Weaver's will get in there for opening day in terms of the, in terms of the lineup. Look, as long as they don't depend on him too much, it'll be fine. Well, I mean, it's not like the Orioles have to rely on their players or anything like that. For no, this season. Yeah. no we're not expecting like big seasons in order to basically overcome a lot of obstacles and odds. So look, no surprises with the DL, correct? Uh, no surprises in, in terms of the DL. Um, you want to go to uh, 140 characters or less? Let's do it this week on the Twitters. First of all, I'm just going to start it. He's back. And, of course, I am talking about Dan Connolly. Dan Connolly, who tweets at Dan Connolly 2016 because he's changed his Twitter handle. He says... So does that mean next year he changes it to 2017? No, no. Never Again, players, please do not put your number, whatever team you're on, in your Twitter handle, and don't put the year. So maybe, it's just it's maybe, just a bad move. So maybe it's a social security number. <laughs> Dan Connolly tweets, I'm back. Please do announce I'll be covering the 2016 hashtag Orioles for my new site, BaltimoreBaseball.com. Read more with the link to BaltimoreBaseball.com. You had to know that Dan Connolly couldn't stay away too long. He he took the buyout from uh, the Baltimore Sun. Dan Connolly, one of the good guys. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think there's anybody on the Orioles beat who's, who's not, but... Uh, I'm glad that he's going to still be involved. Absolutely. Uh, next tweet comes from us from Alex Conway, and they this goes into the tweet of, there was some awkwardness to that interview on the club-owned station, and Alex's tweet goes as follows. Dan Duquette should never speak live in public. And, of course, this comes back to the whole, Hunsu Kim is not going to make the 25-man roster, and lo and behold, we're here on Sunday afternoon, and Hunsu Kim has made the 25-man roster. I don't understand the aspect why Dan Duquette had to come out and say that to Masson. And then also when he went back out and he talked to the beat writers, he completely changed his stories. It's almost like he knew, oh, crap, I shouldn't have said that. What was was I thinking? It was just so funny to me because it was incredibly awkward. And this is the friendliest of media subjects that you could possibly have. Look, Masson asks you a question and you go, 
Crickets, crickets, crickets. Yeah. crickets. Oh, well, and here's my yeah. answer. Well, we're really trying hard out there to put together a formidable ball club. And, uh, you know, we're going to take our best uh, players forward going from this point forward. I'm not calling Gary Thorne a shill, but come on. But you are calling Mike Bordick a shill. I absolutely okay. <laughs> All right. This next tweet comes from Mike Petrilio. You can follow him at Mike underscore Petrilio. And, uh, well, I needed this tweet earlier this, this spring and it's Kansas City and Pittsburgh tied for most spring losses and Mets didn't win for two full weeks. I bet the teams with great records are all for real though. Well done. Well done. It's almost like we've said before, spring training records really don't matter. Doesn't matter even in the slightest. Next, we're going to go to a tweet from, uh, Tim Britton who tweets at Tim Britton. No, this is not a a relation of Zach Britton who's playing for the minor minor league clubs for the Orioles. But uh, you told me this is a a, a Boston beat writer Boston for the Providence Report. Right. Okay. The tweet goes as follows: Ortiz on the ovation in a city he never played in before. They watched TV, I guess, called it surprising and welcome. This just goes to show that David Ortiz is a gigantic jerk. And I'm only saying that because I do not feel comfortable using any more strong language on birdlandradio.com. But turn in next week for more strong language on Bird's Eye View podcast. That's right. <laughs> I will say dirty things, and Scott will have to go back and edit them out. That's true. Um, this last tweet goes into the category of DFA. Whew, thank goodness. This comes from our good friend, Ryan Wagner. You can follow him at rwags614. I'll never be able to describe my disappointment and not getting the chance to announce a guy named Nigel Newtbar. And this was a player that was released by the Baltimore Orioles from a minor league contract. It's good work. That's good work. Now, you say our good friend Ryan Wagner, and I, I assume that you say that because we've had Ryan Wagner on this very program before. We have talked to him about his beard glitter before. So, yes, we have talked to him. Well, what do you say we talk to him again? Well, it seems like it's apropos the day before opening day to talk to the voice of Orioles baseball. Let's just throw the curtain back a little bit here. And I apologize to everyone that's looking at my face and Scott's face. Um, this is a pre-recorded interview. So we're going to go ahead and we're going to roll this. And then you're going to watch us listen. Whenever we bring on a guest to Bird's Eye View, we try to come up with some clever introduction to tease it out. Who is it? What is this person known for? Uh, there's really no reason to do any of that here. Uh, we we are lucky enough to talk to Ryan Wagner, who, of course, is the voice of the Orioles, uh, the PA announcer at Camden Yards. And you can find this guy everywhere. We were just talking to him a little bit uh, off mic about the various things that he's doing to keep himself busy in Baltimore before the Orioles start. Uh, but Ryan, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me, guys. I'm uh, happy to be back. Well, let's let's get the most important thing out of the way, and and I really feel like this is this is brass tacks right here. Uh, what is your drink of the week? You know what? Uh, this is gonna sound this is gonna sound interesting. Um, those San Pellegrino things. Yeah. The uh, that's my drink of the week because it has been uh, nine weeks since my last alcoholic beverage. Ah, excellent! Congratulations. Is that on purpose or? I, I, I don't know if it's congratulations or in order. I I did it just to make sure that I could. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of those things. And I actually read 
that phrase uh, in a book that John Feinstein wrote years ago about a year spent with the Ravens. And he talked about Steve Bishotti and how Steve Bishotti twice a year for a month each time uh, would give up alcohol just to make sure he still could. And so uh, this this winter, after the new year, uh, we went to Florida. And after the trip to Florida, I came home. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to see how long I can make it. And it's been nine weeks. And uh, I thought I would feel all these amazing things and all these changes. And I would get better sleep. And I would have more energy. And I just really want a beer. Yeah. Uh, so, well, <laughs> so, yeah, the, the drink of the week is definitely the San Pellegrino thing. Because the giant up the street has them 10 for $10, which is pretty exciting. Well, you know, last offseason, you had Mark Teixeira that went with his whole vegan diet, which everyone was got, got into a hissy fit about, basically. So going into the season, it sounds like you're trying to go with a healthier lifestyle. Are you basically in the best shape of your life entering into the season? Are you in peak shape to basically have a breakout career performance for 2016? <laughs> best shape of my adult life. I think you could probably say that. <laughs> you could probably get away with that. I, I think as a 12 or 13-year-old, I remember bouncing back from injuries a lot quicker. But, uh, yeah, you know, it's, it's, I just, I realized, and, you know, we were talking before we started about turning 30. Uh, I realized that if I don't do it now, it's going to just get progressively more difficult to do. So, yeah, I, I'm in pretty good shape. I don't, I don't know that it's going to have a, an impact in the booth so, so much. I, I think actually I'm, I'm concerned about that because those rain delay ice cream sundaes are, uh, <laughs> yep. they're, they're pretty, they're pretty tough to avoid. Impressed as I am that you're the Renaissance man that make the rest of us look terrible. Let's let's talk about your your main gig here. I assume that you were heavily involved in the Orioles working so hard to re-sign uh, the majority of their free agents, and I think that you were involved mostly because you didn't want to have to come up with a, a whole new list of names uh, to memorize and, and prepare and perform. Um, so, what did that conversation go down like? I was excited to get Davis back. He is one of the easiest <laughs> names on the team. Um, that made me happy. Uh, Hardy is still around, which means I'm, I'm still relevant for another year. Uh, obviously, you know, if, if JJ decides to go at any point, I, I think I may have to go wherever he does. Uh, including, you know, if, if he stays for another 10 years and retires, I may just go announce him in his daily life. Cause that is, uh, that is what that's become, I guess, my calling card, so to speak. Uh, but no, you know, it was, it was interesting to sit from the same perspective that any other fan has and to see all this unfold the way that it did, because I was like a lot of people and I, I assumed uh, that of the the major free agents that the Orioles had, uh, many of them wouldn't be back. You know, I, I assume that Davis would uh, would would not be back. I, I assume his contract would be uh, somewhere outside of the realm of possibility for the Orioles. And uh, I didn't think Weiders would be back. I did not expect him to take the qualifying offer. You know, as we learned more throughout the off season and learned about the the conversation that Adam Jones had with management, how these guys that were in the locker room were were uh, passionate about keeping the core together and. Uh, that they thought they had something special. It was interesting to see it play out the way that it did. You know, everybody's been hollering about pitching and, and how the Orioles should have gone out and signed a pitcher or two. Uh, but I don't think anybody could have anticipated the way that the pitching market developed. So they did what they thought was best. They did what they could with what they had. And uh, there are going to be a lot of familiar faces, you know, when we call that lineup on opening day. And I think that's a good thing uh, because what people forget last year, 81 and 81, and I get that that was a, <clears throat> a disappointment, but this is essentially the same roster that won the American League East two years ago. They did something right then. It didn't go as well as they would have hoped because of injuries and because of uh, some of the pitching taking a step back. But when you throw in a guy like Gallardo, you're hoping that Kevin Gosman uh, takes a step forward. Um, and Chris Tillman goes back to his mean as opposed to what he did last year. Uh, I think there's a lot to look forward to, and I think that it all started with bringing back 
a lot of those guys that everyone anticipated were not going to be back. Sure. And admit it, you do just drive in your car saying Odrizm or Despagne over and over again, don't you? Man, you know, they signed Kim and I thought, (laughs) all right, that's the one that I'm going to have to do a little work on because ballplayers of Asian descent tend to have names that are a little more difficult, a little tricky. And then they brought this guy in and I tweeted about it almost instantly. I I think my tweet just said, help. Um, And the Orioles responded. I I think I got a tweet from the Orioles. I think I got a tweet from uh, Rock Tobacco. You know, a couple of people were like, hey, this is what it is, just, you know, so you can get used to it. It's a good one. It's There's a lot of vowels, uh, which which as a PA announcer, vowels are tough. At least they didn't sign Kila Kaahua. That's one that I'm I'm always concerned that they're going to, you know, find him somewhere, dust him off, and, and send him to the Orioles. But yeah, Odrisamir Despagne is is in is in the wheelhouse. I got it down. Not sure if he breaks camp with the club, but but just in case he he makes his way to Oriole Park, I think I'm ready to go. Yeah, it's gonna be one of those uh, Norfolk call-ups, probably. We're gonna have to be on your toes, basically, and be like, oh, he just got up here. I better uh, be ready yeah. to go for this when he comes onto the roster. So yeah, he'll be on the shuttle. Yep, exactly. No question about it. So not to dwell too much into 2015, but I want to kind of go back to April with the protest in Baltimore and the violence that erupted in our fair city. And I want to really go to that one game that was be forced to play in Canyon Yards where it's completely empty. Um, but I thought it was really nice because, you know, the voice of the Orioles yourself was there and the sounds of the game are also played during uh, the games. I-, I felt like that was really important to maintain some normalcy to the situation to a certain regard, probably for both the players, but also for the people that are watching on television um, whose decision was that um, to maintain that consistency with having um, you do the public announcement also, but just be playing the sounds in the stadium as well? You know, I really don't know. Um, my job was to was to be there when they asked me to be there. And, and um, so it was a surreal experience. You know, I, I think that that goes without saying. Yeah. Um, not something that anyone that was involved uh, would have ever anticipated or would have thought we were uh, going to experience at any point. Being a Baltimore City kid, born and raised, it uh, was a difficult time. So. You know, you just make the best of it. You show up for work and, you know, to give you a sports metaphor, you, you bring your, your lunch pail, put your hard hat on and, and sit down and do the job just like you've done it before and hope for the best. But yeah, it was a, it was a unique experience. It's definitely strange, you know, and that whole week, I'm sure, was incredibly strange. But it made me wonder about maybe some of the other strangeness that you've experienced. What do you think is the weirdest thing that you've ever had to say into a microphone at Camden Yards? The weirdest thing I've ever had to say into a microphone. Yeah, again. have you ever had that experience where you you know you you get your read, someone hands you, and then you, you say it, and then you look it back, and you're like, "Wow, really? Did I just say that in front of forty thousand people?" I mean, we we've had a couple of we've had a couple of things, you know, a couple of in game promotions and things like that. I, I the strangest thing for me might have been announcing Nick Markakis as an Atlanta Braves right fielder. Just because, and then there's stuff that you say that makes you laugh every time, and and it's more what the fans do in in response to some of the promotions. Um, but just seeing some of the guys come back that that have played for the Orioles and played well, and you know you've announced them a bunch of times, uh, and then seeing them play for another club, you know it's it's part of it's part of the game, part of being in baseball and part of being in sports. But it's still a little strange when it comes out because it's you read it with a different cadence too. I mean I'm. I'm never going to be the kind of public address announcer that you'll see at a, you know an NHL game or NBA where I'm overly excited and, and very emotive. My style is very old-fashioned, and, and I uh, I intend to keep it that way. But there's still a different energy that you put behind the names of the guys that play for the home team. When you've done it with a guy like Nick Markakis a bunch of times, and then you read it with him playing for somebody else, it's very hard to not do it the same way you've always done it. 
I was there that that game that he came back, and I was that was a cool moment. I, I thought that everybody in the stadium greeted him warmly, and uh, obviously, you know, the majority I, of them probably. Yeah, I mean, there's no there's no reason to not greet him warmly. You know, I, things happen. It's a business. The guy gave everything he had to the Orioles for you know ten years, and and I, I think the fans did the right thing by welcoming him back the way that they did, and I think he's a he's a, and he's an Oriole for life. Sure. I mean, Brian Roberts was a Yankee for a year, and, and this is just... Uh, we don't talk about that. <laughs> this is Mark Kekas' Yankee phase. Yeah, the pinstripes always look weird, no matter who they're on. <laughs> if they haven't been playing there their whole career. And hey, you've got uh, Steve Pierce to welcome back this upcoming season. You know, I like Steve. I think Steve's a heck of a ball player, and I, and I think that uh, I'm happy for him because he's playing in front of his home crowd. I hope he has a great year, and, and I'm rooting for him. I mean, the guy, he's the kind of guy that no matter what you tell him to do, no matter what you ask, no matter what you ask him on a given day, he'll go out there and he'll do everything he can to make it work. Watching him play second base and, and do some of the Oof. things that yeah. he was asked to do here in Baltimore. You need guys like that, the guys who are just workers. They, you know, they come to the ballpark, they do whatever they can to help the team win. And the Orioles are full of guys like that. But yeah, Pierce was, he was definitely one of those guys. And I, I, I mean, I have very limited interaction with these guys, but FanFest is probably when I do, uh, do have the most interaction. And Pierce was always a guy that was a lot of fun to work with. Very, very easygoing, funny guy, and just very, uh, very gregarious. Good dude. You said you didn't want to be the hockey announcer. I have to tell you, I, my kids are eight and five, and I'm pretty sure that their favorite part of a, a Major League Baseball game experience is hearing you yell, and down the stretch he or she comes for that steal second yeah. base campaign. That, that That is my one moment where I, and that's not even in the script. That's like the one moment where I go off script, and it's my audition to do the Preakness at some point in my life. <laughs> so, I'm hoping that one day on a Sunday, uh, whoever makes that decision at the Preakness uh, shows up and says, hey, you know, that guy'd be pretty good. So you basically um, just said that and hoped that it was okay? <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this, you can't you can't put something in a script in front of me that says ad lib and not expect me to take advantage of that opportunity. So, you know, it's it's uh, I get ripped about it more so from the guys that work with us in, in the in-game productions area just joking around with me because it's very loud. And so they all have to take their headsets off for the, <laughs> for a moment. But uh, I love kids on the base, or not kids, uh, steal second base. I, I think it's really cool. I think it's a lot of fun. I think the fact that it's different every time makes me happy because it's unique. And, you know, when the players get involved and, and you know, one of the ground crew members will help out or, or the second baseman for the opposing team will run out and grab second base and, and give the kid a hand. And the fans really get behind it. So any anything that gets the fans pumped up and excited and having a good time is a lot of fun. But yeah, down the stretch they come. I think I did that the very first time. I was like, I'm staying with it. I'm sticking with it. I've always wanted to do that, so here's my chance. Just felt right. So what I'd like to do now is go to a, a moment in your past. So we're going to go back to your 20s, Ryan, and we're going to talk about 2011 when you were the inaugural member of the MLB Fan Cave. And why I'm bringing this up is in 2015, the Fan Cave's doors were closed by MLB I yeah. wanted to get your perspective a little bit on the fan cave and why do you think it failed to a certain regard and what do you think major league baseball needs to do to improve their social media interaction compared to other professional sports? Oh man, I don't think it failed at all. You know, I, I think that my perspective on it is, is a very unique one because as you mentioned, uh, Michael Hara and I were the two guys that did it first. And when we did it, when we came in and were a part of that, project, we really didn't know what to expect. Uh, we had a rough outline and we were anticipating certain things happening. But for us, it was a project that seemingly on a, on, a, on a weekly, almost daily basis was different than it was the day or the week before. And that made it exciting and it made it interesting to come to work every day. I, I learned 
such an incredible amount working at the Fan Cave. I, I had the opportunity to work with some of the most amazing people, whether it was from uh, Major League Baseball and in the PR department, people that I still count as friends, or with the production company that was brought in to help out with that end of things, uh, learning how to be comfortable on camera because I'd been a stage actor all my life. Uh, learning how to write for television, learning social media and getting a, a very, you know, baptism by fire sort of experience with social media and Twitter specifically. It was a shame to see it go, but just like any any project like that, I, I think that it had run its course. And it, and I don't mean that in a negative way. I think that the, the content that they were creating the last year was every bit as good as what we created the first year. I just think that it was time for a change and you know, anything that lasts in, in this world, anything that is a media-based experiment that lasts for four years, I think is, has done very well uh, because we see so often how quickly things can change and how quickly projects can go away. I think that Major League Baseball is very cognizant of the fact that a younger crowd is the demographic that everyone is shooting for, you know, and no matter what your business is, no matter what your uh, your goal is, reaching out to a younger audience is not only what you want to do, but it's also a very difficult thing to do. And I have a 16-year-old niece who does not look up from her phone ever. I haven't seen her eyeballs in probably four years. It's such an interesting thing. I work in social media and digital media content creation in my full-time job. And so it's ever-changing and it's, it, is a, it is a field that requires a whole lot of different skills. And I think what Major League Baseball did by combining with the NHL, I think the NHL was doing some really wonderful things too. Um, and so bringing that all under one umbrella, the, the content that they're creating is great. The way that they're reaching out is great. And I'm really honored to have been a part of something like the MLB Fan Cave. I, I think that uh, it's something that I will never forget. And it taught me so much that I, I still use every day. Let's talk about this upcoming uh, season here, 2016. You, you've said it, you know, a local product, you're an Orioles fan at heart. Where are you as far as right now? Are you in a faithful optimism point of the uh, of the preseason? Or are you in a concerned mode? You, you won't find me getting concerned about anything that doesn't count. You know, it's it, I deal with it a lot. <clears throat> you know, I when people find out what I do for a living. They want to talk Orioles, which is completely understandable. Uh, and I love talking about this team and I love talking baseball. And so I get it. I, I understand there's a lot of concern out there. The Orioles record is not obviously what they would love it to be. I mean, everybody wants them to go 30, you know, in spring training. That would be ideal. But what I know, not as a fan, but as a, as a baseball person, is that there is almost no correlation between spring training record and regular season record. Uh, you can go back a couple of years ago with the Nationals, who I think won 10 games the entire spring and went on to win 97 in an NL East championship. So there, there is very little correlation between those two things. I think that part of the equation of being a fan is being a bit reactionary, and I think that what, all, what also plays into it is that we've been without baseball for five months, and now that baseball is back, we are excited and we're passionate about it, and that passion can go either way. Just like if the Orioles were to go 25-5 and five in spring training, people would be printing World Series tickets. So it, it doesn't bother me, but as a as a fan, I'm not concerned. I, I There are certain things you want to see in spring training, and I think that you see them or you don't. Guys are working on things. You want to see the, the batters start coming around and catching up with the pitching, and then you want to see the pitching adjust and catch back up to the hitters. You know, it's it's spring training. I mean, it's not like what's the worst that's going to happen when, when the records are all oh, 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 they're going to put the Orioles at the bottom of the American League East. See, the thing is, because Baltimore starts with a B no matter what, I think the Orioles start at the top of the American League East on opening day. Uh, you know, you got to keep it all in perspective. It, it doesn't, it doesn't concern me in the least. 
it used to be that there was one day of the year that I could say, you know, ladies and gentlemen, your first place Baltimore Orioles. But luckily, they've given us the opportunity to say that quite a bit in the last few years. Yeah, and, I, you know, it's 162 games. It is a very long season. Every game counts, obviously, because when, when you're talking about whether you win a division or don't win a division by a game or a game and a half or two games at the end of the season, the games in April count just as much as the ones in September. But both the games in September and the games in October count way more than the ones in March. But yeah, I mean, I, I think that there should be optimism about this team. If for no other reason than over the last four years, they've won more games in the American League than the other team. You're allowed to be excited and you're allowed, you, you should be excited and looking forward to a good season and looking forward to seeing what these guys can do because this is a good baseball team. Am I optimistic? Sure. Uh, that, that's what spring is all about. That's what this time of year is all about. I hope spring's eternal. This time of year, every fan of every team in baseball should be excited and should be looking forward to seeing what their guys can do because, uh, like you said, everybody's got the same record, so everybody has just as much chance to win as the other team. So with the season upon us and you know, you getting prepared so much for the season, I'm, I'm assuming you just don't show up on April 4th and just say, okay, I'm here. Um, how do you gear for the season? Do you go out and say, I'm going to go get myself a, a brand new spiffy bow tie, or do you go out and hmm. you know prepare yourself in a certain fashion? Luckily, I, I, uh, the guys on the team have a lot more preparation to do than I, uh, than I do. So it's, it's a little bit easier for me. I, I do my, I think, you know, the last couple of years, my mom has bought me a new bow tie for opening day. That's kind of become a tradition. So yeah. I'm curious to see if that continues this year and what she's got in the store. Luckily, you know, the, the most important thing for me is my voice. And, and, uh, as an actor with the background that I have, vocal health is such an incredibly important thing for me. And, uh, it always is, always will be. And so I'm, I'm uh, conscious of my, my vocal health and of the quality of my voice, not just uh, during baseball season, but every day of the year. So it doesn't take much for me to get my voice back in shape because if I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing, it's never out of shape. Now, you know, paying attention to transactions, paying attention to, to what the team is doing, making sure that I'm aware of there's new guys on the team, those kind of things. I do pay attention to those things. And I'll, uh, we do have some preseason meetings with the, the department that I work for uh, within the Orioles and just kind of go over any changes that are coming up, what to expect. And then we'll do a, you know, we'll do an equipment check, uh, just to make sure everything's working the way it's supposed to be working and that we're all set to go for opening day. And then it's off to the races. You know, it's, uh, I, I say this all the time. My, my job is a very simple one. It's a very important one. And it's one that I love uh, very, very much. Um, but when it comes down to it, there's, there's not a whole lot to it. So as long as I'm prepared vocally and, uh, I'm focused and, and I'm taking my job seriously, which I always do, I, I can be ready to go, uh, whenever the team is. Well, we want to be part of that, uh, that care of your vocals. Uh, so we're, we're going to try to reduce the strain in your talking. You've been very gracious mm -hmm. with your time at, at this point, but we have just two things for you real quick. Um, the first yep. is that whenever we end with a first time guest, we always ask them Beatles or Stones. And the last time you were with us, you, uh, you threw us a curveball and you gave us the kinks is your answer, which, you know, we can respect that. It's a well respected answer. I actually answer. said, I actually said the who. I do remember that conversation because we, we, we talk about the, I, I talk about that question all the time because the Beatles are, the Beatles or Stones thing is a, it's a popular question. People ask that all the time. And yeah. my answer is now and will always be the who. And it's not because I devalue either the Stones or the Beatles. But I, I think that question is almost too difficult to answer because they are two very distinct and very different bands. So if I'm in the mood to listen to the Beatles, I'm not in the mood to listen to the Stones and vice versa. So my answer to that question is always the who. So to get you out of, uh, out of that question, I'm going to ask you a different one. Okay. What are you listening to right now? What's the last album, CD, digital collection or whatever that you bought? Or what do you have in the you know car, iPad, iPod or whatever right now? 
far as new music goes, man, I got to say, uh, th- this might be a, might offend some people. I, there, there is no new music that I listen to on a regular basis that is, uh, that is impressive to me. I, I think that we are living through one of the worst eras of music ever. And it's, it's frustrating, but it, it just kind of is what it is. I listen to a lot of classic rock. You know, I, I can never go to concerts because I always have something going on seemingly. But I heard Boston was coming to town, and so I just got back on a Boston kick. When the, the weather finally got warmer, that first warm day uh, rolled around, I put the windows down and put some Bob Seger on. Love Bob Seger. So for me, it's a lot of classic rock. I, I was raised on classic rock, and I listened to a bunch of it. Uh, I also, uh, <laughs> in addition to everything else, am training for a 10K. Uh, I've never run a race in my life. I hate running outside. So somebody said, let's run a 10 K. I still don't know why I said yes, but I, I run with music. I put music on and, and, uh, my new, uh, Pandora station is hip hop barbecue. <laughs> I don't, I don't know where I read that. I, I, I wish I could remember because I was looking at Pandora the other day and I typically, uh, have been running to the Aerosmith Pandora station. And I'm probably like dating myself because I'm supposed to be using Spotify instead of Pandora. But I, uh, I read somewhere about a hip hop barbecue station and I typed it in and there it was. And it's pretty good, man. It's uh, it's a good running mix. It's nice and chill. I'm not, you won't see me doing wind sprints. So I don't need something to get me fired up like that. But, uh, but that station is good. And I, you know, I, again, you know, as much as I grew up on classic rock, I had an older brother. And uh, so early to mid nineties, sort of hip hop and rap and uh, R&B that was that was sort of the wheelhouse and now I think I like it better now than I did then because I think then I was just trying to get my brother to like me but everything that comes on that hip hop barbecue station is pretty solid listen you need to go into all of the social media platforms there are and get hip hop barbecue as a uh, as a screen name or whatever it is a handle yeah it's it's pretty impressive it it's it's uh, I think when I first put it on I think the first song that came on was Sorry Miss Jackson by Outkast and I was like, Okay, I can yeah, I can get behind this. We can make this um, Yeah. And it's just it's a lot of it's a lot of that kind of stuff. And it, there's a I don't know. I mean you're talking to a guy who when you talk about the fan cave, when I was in the fan cave I met a lot of people. I met a lot of celebrities and a lot of ball players and a lot of heroes of mine and was was really fortunate in that way that there were a lot of people that we got a chance to spend time with, not just on camera, but you know, had a chance to kind of pick their brains and chat with them off camera. And I, I was starstruck a grand total of once, one time. And that one time was when Boys to Men came to the fan cave. I lost it. I mean, I'm kind of, uh, I've, I've become, uh, I have sort of a reputation now for being a one take guy, which is a good thing. It's something that, I, that I'm very proud of, whether it's voiceover or, you know, something with the Orioles or uh, even as an actor, you give me one take and I'll nail it. And I developed that and really fostered that when I was in the fan cave because it took me so long to get comfortable on camera. And then once I did, I wanted to do it as quickly as possible and get it right the first time so we didn't waste any time. And when Boys to Men came in, I had the simplest job in the world. I was just moderating a debate between my co-host and Boys to Men. And we had to do like four or five takes because I, I couldn't hold it together. I was so nervous and I was so excited to meet those guys. And one of them called my brother and left him a voicemail. And it, it was it was just it was a great day. But so when I think about music, I mean, that's the kind of stuff I think about. I think about Boyz II Men. You can't run a 10K of Boyz II Men. You'd pass out and like fall asleep because your pace would be so slow. But they are, uh, they're pretty incredible. And, you know, I listen to all kinds of music. You, you would do that 10K with style, basically, is what you're saying. It would be <laughs> I really, would, yeah. It'd be I'd really slow. Wear, I'd have to wear like a, like a tan suit. Yes, exactly. Like a, yeah, like a, yeah, the, what is it? Um, 
Oh, what was that song, the video? Oh, this can drive me nuts. I can't remember. Anyway, the clothes that they used to wear, like the, the, the silky sort of rayon shirts with the, the vest that matched the pants, that's what I would have to run a 10K in. Uh, Ryan, I just want to point out that our, our musical discussions on this show have, have centered around Kesha and Beard Glitter and now running a 10K to, uh, yeah. to Boys to Men. We, free we, Kesha, man. Hashtag free Kesha. We yeah. cover some ground on this podcast. Yeah. So can we do a favor here? Can we close our eyes, make a wish, and blow out the candle? You can. As long as you don't play, I'll make love to you as we head out. Uh, <laughs> as you head into your next segment. Con- consent is important. Ryan, we'll only do it if you want us to. <laughs> if, if you're going to play Boys to Men, you, you got to play uh, Motown Philly. That I that is absolutely okay. <laughs> That's cool. Well, maybe we'll or do that. Visions of, or Visions of a Sunset, the song that uh, Sean Stockman <laughs> recorded for the Mr. Holland's Opus uh, soundtrack. You're welcome for that, by the way. <laughs> well, maybe we can save that for the next time that we are going ahead and, and doing this uh ryan do you have any uh anything coming up that you want to promote uh any uh, fundraising that you're doing anything in that regards we yeah one thing i'm, I'm thank you guys for reminding me of this because this is uh something that's very near and dear to my heart my mom she is the salt of the earth uh but she has become this foster parent to unwanted pit bulls and the city humane society is uh very uh, overcrowded and they take a lot of uh, sort of last hope dogs, the ones that are maybe have a violent history or the ones that have dog fighting history or, or whatever the case may be. And so she's become one of their most prolific poolers of dogs. She takes dogs from there that nobody else will. Long story short, uh, she's got one right now that she's fostering that is uh, one of her most difficult cases yet. And he has been sent to a rehabilitation center that she is paying for herself. And Zeus is the name of the dog. Zeus has been at this rehab for, I think, about a month now. He's probably got another month to go. But this is breaking, basically breaking him back down uh, to where he can just be a dog again and then building him back up so that he can trust people. Uh, because there is no such thing as a bad dog. There is only bad owners, and I can't say that enough. So Zeus is getting every chance in the world to have his life saved because of what my mama is doing. But with that in mind, I started a, uh, a crowdsourcing page, uh, crowdfunding page for her to try to gain some of this money back. And it's been slow. Um, but if anybody would like to, they can head to youcaring.com uh, slash for uh, F-O-R Zeus, Z-E-U-S. And uh, he's a great dog. You know, they all are. If anybody's interested in fostering uh, or even adopting one of the pit bulls that my mom has, she typically has five or six at her house. Uh, that she's looking for forever homes for, or even foster homes, uh, they can send me a message on Twitter or send me a uh, send me a tweet, and I'd be happy to connect them with my mom to uh, to get that set up. Yeah, it's a great cause, and and we of course wish you guys all the best of luck with that. Thank you. And now that Scotty has found his ways to the ones and the twos, uh, we're going to end it there. Ryan Wagner, thank you so much for joining us on Bird's Eye View, and uh, hey, enjoy the heck out of this upcoming 2016 season, will you? Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, and uh, keep up the good work. Will do. Thanks so much, Ryan. Thanks so much. That's right. It's time. It's time again for the good, 
the bad, and the ugly. This is the segment in which we talk about... You know what? No. I say to you, no, what? Scott Magnus. We do the good, the bad, and the ugly every week. We're going to be different? Yes. We're going to do it differently this week. Look, this is Birdland Radio. Nobody wants to hear what was good, bad, or ugly about the last week of spring training. That's crap. We'll start up again next week with real baseball. Instead... With one week of stats. <laughs> instead, you know what we're going to do? We are going to we're going to steal. We're going to steal from people. We're going to steal from people. We're going to steal some late night bits. Oh. And so what we want to do is we want to shoot past the year 2000 and talk about the year 2016. In the year 2016. In the year 2016. In the year 2016. Hunter Harvey and Dylan Bundy will be surgically grafted so that all the scary, injury-prone parts are left in one and the dominant Major League pitcher parts are left in another. The Orioles will naturally choose the wrong one and the other will go on to wear pinstripes. In the year 2016 In the year 2016 Adam Jones will forget his no-pying promise in 2016 and send Nolan Reimold back to the disabled list after some walk-off rhyme time. In the year 2016 In the year 2016 It doesn't rain on opening day because I don't want it to! In the year 2016, in the year 2016. In the year 2016, in order to raise revenue for the team, Peter Angelus will join the oil bird on top of the dugout to dance raucously to Thank God I'm a Country Boy. In the year 2016, in the year 2016. When David Ortiz fails to get a standing ovation at Camden Yards, he goes on a post-game tirade threatening to, quote, slap Orioles fans in the face with money. In the year 2016, in the year 2016. In 2016, Manny Machado is traded to the Chicago Cubs for Jake Arrieta as the Orioles become tired of not having a dominant pitcher. Arietta is then designated for assignment by the end of the season. In the year 2016, in the year 2016. Angry white former players finally make peace with the bat flip. Active players instantly find it no longer uh, no longer cool, and the practice ends. In the year 2016, in the year 2016. In 2016, Dan Duquette finally admits to working for the Toronto Blue Jays since being denied the job. More shocking is when Buck Showalter admits to still working for the New York Yankees because of the allure of cotton uniforms. In the year 2016, in the year 2016. Conan O'Brien, 
NBC, or whoever it is that actually owns the right to this comedy bit will sue Bird's Eye View back to the Stone Age, completing the process that Apple could not finish during the great podcast massacre of 2013. In the year 2016, in the year 2016. All right, we're going to go ahead and blow the save, and then we're going to open up the phone lines to anybody that wants to call in. So if you're interested in calling in, do so now, but we're going to go ahead and blow the save. By the way, if you're trying to get in, it's 410-216-5800. Blow it, Scotty. All right, so I teased earlier about the aspect of drinking this fig and fennel style from Christmas, which really makes no sense. Why are you drinking a Christmas beer uh, going into the beginning of the season? Well, mine's a sentimental purpose. So just to kind of roll back the uh, the, the curtain of this, um, my father passed away a few months ago, and uh, this was actually one of the last beers that I had with him. My plan was actually to take him to opening day, one of his first opening days that he's ever seen. And um, unfortunately, he passed away before that was possible. So uh, this beer... It's in his honor, um, and I'll be drinking plenty of beers for him and uh, going to the game uh, in remembrance of him. So, Dad, this one's for you. Appreciate it. Let's go O's. We will be sure to have quite a few beers uh, for your dad on opening day. Baseball and family, that's that's really what it's all about, right? It is what it's all about. All right, so we we asked you to, to call on in. Again, it's 410-216-5800. We have stuff to give away. They've, they've dropped stuff here on the desk. We want to make sure that, that you can... You can get it's a uh, let's see what do we have here? We have a a set of Fed Thrill sunglasses. I can't wear sunglasses because I wear these things all the time. Uh, and for those of you listening on the audio, my giant Buddy Holly glasses. But for those of you that have perfect vision or are not too much of a sissy to use uh, contact lenses, we have some Fed Thrill uh, sunglasses, which are a phenomenal. Uh, gift which you should call in right now and get we also have a, a t-shirt scotty tell me about this t-shirt uh, so it's a t-shirt from utah street report is a chris davis windows window removal service chris davis windows removal service it, it, and, and if you listen to the section 336 podcast today uh they had a mighty nice conversation with, with chris davis regarding whether or not he thinks he could actually hit the warehouse it's 436, right? 437? What, what's the distance to the warehouse? Long. Very far away. It's not that long. Like, it's, it doesn't sound that long. All right. While we kill time and try to get a caller, I want to ask you a question because this is something I wanted to ask you all week. Sure. Uh, we had an Around the Bases segment all, all set up before our great conversation with Ryan Wagner uh, took place. I want to ask you this. You and I both think that uh, Jonathan Scope are primed for a, a big – uh, a big season. And what I want to ask you is this. What metrics should we all be on the lookout for from Jonathan Scope to tell us whether or not that big turnaround is going to happen? Dong, da-dong, dong, dong is one thing. Absolutely. What what is the metric that will really mean that he's here? I think there's two, actually. I think that you should be looking at plate discipline, especially for balls outside the zone, which Jonathan Scope and Adam Jones have historically had a, a terrible success about. Um, but the other one that I think would be interesting would be to look at breaking balls and see how well he does against it. Jake, you've got a phone call on the I, line. I think we have a phone call. Let me see if I can pick this up with any more clarity than what was done this, this weekend. Hang on, sir, this morning, rather. Uh, hello, you're here on Birdland Radio. This is Bird's Eye View. Who do we have on the phone? We have a lot of silence, which is cool. We've got a dead iPad. 
Ah, we have technical difficulties. Scotty, I cut you off. Tell me about Jonathan Scope. So anyway, coming back to the whole Jonathan Scope situation, I think if you're really looking at it, plate discipline outside the zone is interesting, but also to see how well he does against the slider and the curveball. And you can look at that in terms of um, run created value, um, which is a, a, a stat that is often looked at, to see how well you do on a pitch type basis. I think that's the most interesting stat going forward, Jonathan Scope, is how does he relate to that breaking ball? The coaches have been working significantly with him during the spring training to be patient at the plate and wait for your pitch. And the breaking ball certainly isn't Jonathan Scope's pitch. It's the fastball. So how long? How long do we wait before we know, oh, it's clicking with Jonathan Scope or, God, I hope it clicks with Jonathan Scope. So, so normally that statistic tends to baseline around 50 plate appearances, but – uh, we saw a similar trend last year with Adam Jones coming out and showing some great plate discipline during his first 50 plate appearances. And of course that disappeared off the, off the, off the rails, um, later in the season. So I think we can start to maybe notice a trend after 50 plate appearances, but the consistent trend over 150 plate appearances, I think is going to be a much more uh, consistent view. See, now to me, 50 doesn't sound like that much. It's not. It's not at all. It's one of the, one of the stats that actually stabilizes very quickly. So we'll know right away is what you're telling us? Pretty quickly. We'll know pretty quickly in April whether or not something is changing with his plate approach. And we've even looked at plate approach changes in Jonathan Scope um, when he went into the playoffs as well in 2014. All right. So Jonathan Scope, we'll know right away, good, bad, or ugly. Yeah. If uh, if you're here. I thought we weren't doing that. We're not doing birds, uh, good, bad, and the ugly hero birds of you. I have a second question for you. Okay. Again, uh, we are going to strip this right out of what would have been a uh, around the bases segment. I ask you, JJ Hardy. Yes. All right. He's been, we'll say, on the downside for the last couple of years. And my next question to you is: Is JJ Hardy back? And if he is, how will we know? Uh, JJ Hardy will be back if he actually can be a decent defensive replacement shortstop, like he has been in previous seasons. Whatever offense comes along with it is an extra bonus. So. Just keep up that defensive prowess, and if it, that happens, great. That's as, as good of a benefit that you're going to see with J.J. Hardy. This whole aspect of him hitting home runs in spring training, I'm not putting any stake in it at all. It's just an extra added bonus, just like when Ryan Flaherty hits a home run. It's just dumbass luck. So the the real thing is, if he can be the blade, that's true. he's back. He's back. Yeah, I would totally agree with that. Now, you don't put any stock at all in the, in the home runs. We don't need not him. spring training. We don't need him to be any more than the ninth place hitter in this team. Correct. If he can be something more than that, isn't that a huge shot in the arm for this team? Absolutely, and that's what this team is kind of looking for is those huge shot in the arms and basically overproducing from your standards. Um, but if J.J. Hardy can put up a one to one and a half war season, that's great. If he has an exceptional season like we had before and he puts a three war, that's great, but it's probably not enough to move the needle in terms of making this a significantly better club. I, I wholeheartedly agree with you. All right. I'm sure that many of the other podcasts have talked about this today because this is hot on, on, on our minds uh, today. I, I need you to ask, uh, answer me this, Scotty. What in the world is a Xavier Avery? He's a center fielder for no, more folk, and that's about it. Oh, he's a AAA player. Could he be a Major League ball player? He could be a Major League Baseball player, but he shouldn't be a Major League Baseball player. <laughs> so you're telling me that the 25th man comes down between Kim and Xavier Avery. The Orioles have made their choice, and it's really not a big deal that they're not choosing Avery. Hansu Kim has the higher potential as opposed to Xavier Avery. Xavier Avery has been basically thrown through a multitude of rosters, and no one has been able to figure out how to work with them. Hansu Kim has only been seen in the limited plate 
setting, um, I would much rather see Hunsu Kim on this team, seeing what he can do with it, as opposed to Xavier Avery at this time. Sure. The only upside that Avery has is that he can run and he can be used as a pinch hitter and a defensive replacement. You know who also could do that? Who's? David Lowe. <laughs> David Lowe. I told you never to say, I told you never to say that name again. <laughs> All right. Lastly, and again, I'm sure that this has been bandied about all over Birdland between here, there, and everywhere. I want to ask you this. Miguel Gonzalez. Yeah. He was released. I I was very surprised. I, I did not think that he would be released. I think I thought that he would be um, sent down to AAA. Do you think that he comes back to the organization one way or the other? No. I you, think he goes to another organization. You think he's gone? All right. I have been assured by the smart folks here at Birdland Radio that I can press this button and we will get a caller. So I'm going to press this button and I'm going to pray. All right. Will you pray with me? Thank you. Birdland Radio, you are live with Bird's Eye View. Hello. Hello. Do you hear me now? I can hear you now. now. Hi, who is this? All right. This is Douglas. I'm sorry. One more time. This is Douglas. Douglas? Well, Douglas, you are the proud new recipient of some uh, Fed Thrill sunglasses. Uh, I assume that, oh. l- that unlike me, you do not wear Buddy Holly glasses? <laughs> no, 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 no. I've been, I've been waiting patiently with this burning question. Okay. Oh, please, yes. l- lay it on us. Okay, well, I was wondering about what, what is uh, both you and Scott's opinion about Dan Duquette's performance? Since last year, he was quite underwhelming. And this year has been quite dramatic. Yes, we did it with Dan Chris Davis, but then we have all these leaks coming out. We have this whole issue with the Fallon, now with Kim. And it's like, is it just us? Like, is it normal for other teams to manage to have such a odd back-to-back um, season? Well, I think it's interesting because, you know, we were talking about this outside the studio and you look at the 2014 offseason and Dan Duquette really didn't do anything. They were basically said, we're going to stand pat and we're going to go with the team that led us through the playoffs. And we think that there's going to be people that come back healthy and everything is going to be peachy. And obviously that wasn't the case. And this year it was we're going to go back and retain everybody, even though we had an 81 team win team and we're not going to go out and get that pitching. I, I think you raise an excellent point in in the fact that. Dan Ducat has basically pulled some magic out of the hat over the past few years of going out and getting um, players that other teams couldn't see the inherent value of. And last year was an immense amount of failure. Travis Snyder, for example, was a lottery pick. And most of the time, those lottery picks worked out for the Baltimore Orioles. In this instance, Travis Snyder was an absolute failure. It'll be interesting to see if lottery picks such as Hunsu Kim actually has any benefit whatsoever, or if there's another lottery pick that we don't know about at this time, or that may be signed in the future, such as a Tim Linsomcombe maybe gets signed to a minor league deal in the future. And maybe that's a move where Dan Duquette can get some value um, that is not a big name player and bring him up to the rotation. I think the only way the Orioles succeed in the market they are in is by taking lottery picks like that and basically saying, we're going to hope and pray that this player can do something that another player can't do. Look, here's the thing about Dan Duquette. Uh, Dan Duquette got this job in 2012, and I don't know if you were anything like me, but I thought, oh, sure, a has-been. We got a has-been who ran an, is- an Israeli baseball camp for a couple of years. Great. Well done, Orioles. But the thing is about Dan Duquette is that Dan Duquette is really good at some stuff. And what Dan Duquette is really good at is that he is really good at managing the 40-man roster and and getting excellent value in the guys between 26 and 40 and making sure that the guys between 26 and 40 are available to 
work between uh, to to eventually sure. contribute to the major league level for a short period of time. For example, Xavier Avery did not need to be on the major league roster. He easily could have been sent down for the minor leagues because he can be brought up at a later point when Nolan Rymel gets hurt, which is just a medical bottle, basically. Womp, womp. Yeah. So I'm not saying that Dan Duquette is the best GM in the league, but what I'm saying is that he's very, very good at working at the fringes, which is something that an organization like the Orioles needs in the fact that they are not willing to go out and spend before this year uh, for premium talent. So I, I think that, Scotty, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I would call Dan Duquette a solid C-plus to B-minus uh, GM in the league. He's a solid above average GM and also that's why the Toronto Blue Jays were interested in him last year uh, certainly not one of the best but well equipped to be in the market that he is currently in in the Baltimore area all right so did, did that did that answer your question enough uh, for you there yeah it, it was very hard to get to put this better I was wondering like man if I did my job the way you did your job I, I don't know if I would keep my job for long but yeah. it seems though that he he has a strategy I hope it just it just been such an odd roller coaster ride this entire postseason. We should all, all be so lucky to be baseball executives, right? It would be really nice to keep our jobs through through the the kinds of failures that Dan Duquette experiences. Correct? Right. Thank you so much. We're going to put you on hold really quickly so we can get your contact information, and we'll get those Fed Thrill sunglasses sent over to you. Awesome. Thank you. Hey, thanks for calling in. We really appreciate it. No problem. Thank you guys so much for your for your content. I enjoy listening to it every week. All right. Oh, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. Now this is where I try to figure out how to go ahead and work this button. Did it hold? I think I figured it out. Good okay. job. Let me let me try it. I think we have another caller on here. I'm going to try to pick it up. No, I'm getting the I'm getting the wave. No. I'm getting the angry wave from beyond the window. Let's I usually only get the angry wave from you, Scott. Yeah. Let's go ahead and bring in Oh the Anthem podcast and uh, talk to them and see uh, what they're going to be coming and covering next. The door's opening. Here they come. Here it's they the come. Oh the Anthem boys. I'm, I'm excited about this. What's going on, guys? Howdy, boys. We're going to try desperately to get out of your way. Um, before we do, welcome to Birdland Radio. I assume all the mics are turned on unless I get the angry wave from beyond the window. I got the hey, thumbs up. Hey, we're good. Hey, <laughs> it's live then. I got my first thumbs up. It's a very proud moment. Hey, guys, how are you? Doing Great. good. How are you? Just waiting for, uh, waiting for us to get out basically. of the way. No, no, no. <laughs> we, we I'm looking further ahead than that. <laughs> so are you guys uh, going to opening day or are you enjoying it from afar? No, well... <laughs> We got a hotel at the Hilton, so we're going to wake up there. This well, is getting personal. <laughs> Actually, I think before we tell that story, we should give some context. I think that's the problem. So I'm like, no, I prefer I'm it. slowly <laughs> taking my shirt off. <laughs> I got to be honest, I prefer it without all the context. My imagination is way better than whatever you guys can provide. Listen, yeah. if you want to get invited, all you got to do is ask, all right? Do I have to get on my knees and ask? No, no. <laughs> Hi, welcome to my Monday experience. <laughs> so you guys are going to show up uh, on, on Monday when you're going to wake up with Baltimore. Is that what's happening? Here? Exactly mm-hmm. right. Just like we do every year, like we've done every year since 2008, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Wake up with Baltimore inside them. These guys are... 
These guys are professional. <laughs> See, uh, boys from the burbs with small children, we have to drop our kids off at school and then come into the city. But I'm, I'm very excited about this. Um, let there me used ask... to be a child. But... <laughs> Not anymore. <laughs> I, see, I'm a child with children. I'm going to ask a, a question out of ignorance, and then I'm going to get out of your way and let you guys do your show. But uh, tell me about Oh, the Anthem. Well, uh, we're basically a multimedia film podcast, do all the uh, odds and ends. We're, we're trying to uh, start our web series coming up here. we got the podcast going out every Tuesday. And uh, expanding books. podcast network. I mean, really, it's it's more than just the podcast. It's the one time weekly of the Anthem podcast. And then we're expanding outward to two or three additional podcasts in the network this uh, year, hopefully. Books, movies, uh, music, maybe in 2016, 2017. So that sounds a lot better than a lack of insight and basis. I know. It sounds awesome. <laughs> it sounds like a professional. Here's what I'm telling you, though. Uh, we don't have kids. So uh, you guys have, makes it easier. You have the miracle of children. We have the miracle of a lot of projects. It's so, so, it's so funny because Scotty and I talk all the time about ways to grow the podcast. And, and I started talking about a, a vision that I had for, for a visual medium to go along with our podcast. And then I found you guys and was like, that's exactly what I wanted to do. So. <laughs> I, I I can't say enough about your podcast and the fact that it's it's a mix of the audio and the video content. It's really great, and I have to tip my cap to you guys. Well, appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. All right, we're gonna get the heck out of your way, and I think the the good lads here at Birdland Radio are gonna uh, set you guys up for your uh, your hour in the booth. Have a good time, guys. Sounds thank good. You. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.